Good morning, Renew. Uh, a few weeks ago, we began a new series in the book of Acts. And one of the things that we are really looking to do as we study through Acts is to understand the role that the Holy Spirit has within the church, uh, past, present, and future, and to see where we line and, and how we are supposed to respond to what things the Spirit is calling us to be as a community and as followers of Jesus. So a lot of us, we come to this conversation with many different backgrounds and many different understandings or non-understandings of the Holy Spirit. And in my journey, when I was 21, uh, I became a Christian and found myself extremely confused about the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I just encountered Jesus a few months before, and as I began to read the scriptures, I, I started to see this person, the Holy Spirit, continually mentioned uh, within the pages as I read through the New Testament. And so during that time, I began to search, and I'm convinced that the Lord placed a man named Jerry in my life. And as a young Christian, I had a ton of questions. And my biggest one um, that I came to as I was reading through the book of Acts is, what is the Holy Spirit? Who is he and what does he do? And Jerry and I would meet uh, usually once or twice a week, and we would, yeah, I would just come with questions and I would ask him. And for about three months every week, I would ask him the same question. What is the, who's the Holy Spirit? How do I figure this person out? What should I do? How do I grow in understanding? And he would continue to encourage me to keep seeking. And so I was really thankful for his willingness to stick with me, but also for his willingness to continue to point me to Scripture and to point me back to seeking what it is that God had to teach me about the Holy Spirit. And so our hope is that as we journey through the book, that we're shaped as the people of God, specifically responding and interacting with the third person of this of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Uh, in our first uh, in our first ser- in our first gathering of the series, J.R. mentioned that many of us come from very different places when we think about the Holy Spirit. For some of us, there's ignorance. Um, we don't really know exactly who the Spirit is. Um, some of us, there's confusion. We've heard or we've been taught conflicting things and we're not sure what to do about. Uh, we think of late night religious television or the media, or we heard a story that we don't know what to do with. Uh, some of us also find uh, ourselves in a place where there's a lot of hurt and baggage as we think about the Holy Spirit. There are many of us in the room who have experienced someone using the Holy Spirit in a way that has been hurtful. And that baggage of a bad experience is keeping us from actually embracing the invitation of the Holy Spirit to have a good experience. And so our goal as we journey as we journey, is that we would trust the Spirit more and we would grow as a people of God directed by the Holy Spirit in both the sensational and subtle ways. And so today we're looking at the Holy Spirit as the counselor, the advocate, and the guider. And so, let's be honest, you don't have to live very long until life throws you into a situation where you ask the question, what should I do? In fact, I would say that every day we are faced with decisions big and small. And this morning, I'm not talking about the small decisions, like where should I park, what should I wear, should we go on vacation? I believe God is in this, those small decisions as well, but I'm talking about big decisions, decisions that we would consider finding God's heart or will in something? 
Should I take a new job? Where should we move? How do I choose a college? Should I marry this person? Where is God calling me? What should I do about this broken relationship? Um, How do I continue to love my neighbors well? These are questions that are at the heart of who God is and the way he calls us to live uh, in community and intention in the world in which he's called us to. And so the big issue that we're looking at this morning is how do we discern the voice of the Spirit? As we look at this passage, I want us to understand that this isn't the only time in Acts that we see the church discerning God's will. Uh, Today we're studying Acts chapter 1, but if we look at Acts chapter 4, Acts 6, Acts 9, Acts 10, Acts 15, each circumstance is different, but there are some very important similarities in how the people of God discern the will and the heart of God. And so um, we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 1 verses 15 through 24. So if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Acts 1, verses 14 through 24. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scriptures had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. He fell there. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. So I, I can't imagine the emotions that these friends of Jesus has been have been through in the last fifty days. The sent ones are together in obedience to what Jesus said, Go to a room and wait for the Spirit, and they are in constant prayer. I love the way the scripture talks about the attention that the disciples and the, that the disciples now who are called apostles pay to prayer and how that is what they have committed themselves to do. And so I, I, I imagine as they're praying, Peter is looking to the scriptures because there's so many different things that have happened and he invites the gathered community to join in. They're close to Jesus. They're in prayer and they use their minds to select two men to take the place of Judas. Now why do they do that? Because the understanding of being part of a kingdom that is advancing is that the narrative of scripture was to see this idea of 12 tribes blessed to be a blessing in the world. So much of the theology of the early church is wrapped up in an understanding 
of a scriptural witness to a nation being the vehicle in which God's blessing would come. And so scripture to the apostles was not just what God said to the people of old. It was the story of God's redeeming act in history, God's purposes in the world, pointing forward to the time when the plans that God was maturing would come to fruition in Jesus. Peter and the church looked at the scripture not as a textbook, but the story in which to live into all of this was was the Spirit speaking throughout the ages. Now when we talk about the story, a good picture is the way that children watch television. They don't just watch television, they interact with it. When, 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 when a little boy sees Spider-Man for the first time, he puts on the mask, he shoots things out of his hands, he is part of that story. And so the apostles and the people of God throughout history, we embody the story. We don't just read the story, but the story is something to be embodied. It's, it's something that we are invited into to have our lives written as part of that story. And so even though Judas leaves and, and, and he, he dies, the apostles saw it right to replace him because they sensed that that is what God is saying to them as they looked at the scriptures. And so they asked the gathered folks, and they gave two names, Joseph called Bersabbas, also known as Justice, and Mathis, Matthias. And so a couple things that we need to look at is it, within, the, within the passage Joseph, known as Barsabbas, also known as Justice, seems to be the one within the passage who's going to get it just because of his names. Joseph means, may God add to you. Barsabbas means son of the Sabbath. And Justice has this idea of having outstanding honesty. And he seems to be the better man. And as we look at the idea of God choosing the disciple to replace Judas this is a very fascinating way that the church decides to make a decision and I believe that this passage is not is pregnant with meaning for us today and so all of us we've had to discern what God is calling us to and some of us I believe even are in that season of discerning right now and so four years ago I was in the process of making a life-changing decision I was trying to figure out what God was up to with me. I was a youth pastor for 10 years, and I recognized that God began to do uh, a pretty deep work in my life and started to call me towards church planning, but I didn't know what to do. And I had a good friend of mine that came to me and said, hey, I know you've been talking about church planning. There's this guy I met named J.R. Briggs, and J.R. and this church called Renew has this thing called the Renew Apprenticeship Program, which is something that sounds like it may be a good opportunity for you to learn more about church planning. So I said, thanks. I met with J.R., and the process of me trying to figure out what God was calling me to began, and that was in January of 2010. And uh, most of you know who have been part of this community since then, I in January of 2011, I came on as the second apprentice within Renew, and was moving towards becoming a church planner sent by Renew. And throughout a process of discerning, uh, God called me to stay at Renew. And so I've been thankful to be here for the last three years, going on my my fourth year here. And I've and it's been such a miracle to see the way that God has made things very clear in my life. And I'm so grateful to be part of this community and to be able to be a shepherd here. 
Um, and one of the things that JR gave me early on in the process was this 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 little sheet of paper that talked about discerning God's will, and it used a metaphor of the lights on a runway. And so when we think about lights on a runway, what when from what I understand when when you're flying and you look down, you want your the lights on your runway to line up. If they don't line up, it's not a safe place to land. And so when we think about it, there are a lot of times when we see God using different circumstances to help us either take off or land our plane in a way in in the way that God is calling us to be within his will. And I really believe that this passage that we're looking at today teaches us how to make decisions. Uh, I'm not a formula guy, but I believe that the normative way that the church made decisions, as I mentioned in some of the passages earlier, has some common themes that are worth paying attention to. One of the first things that we see and the first light on the runway that we need to look at is that the people of God look to the scriptures, that they're in the scriptures. And so what does this mean? We at Renew, we look at the scriptures in a Christocentric or Christ or Christotelic way. And it's a Christ-centered way. Jesus does climatically and decisively what scripture had in a sense been trying to do, which is to bring God's fresh kingdom, his fresh order to God's people and thence to the world. And that's a quote from N.T. Wright. Does the direction that we are looking to go make sense in God's kingdom and in his economy? Does it move us towards obedience? Does it seem like something Jesus would do? Are there people in the scriptures that were faced with the same or similar decisions? This, these are the things that we need to think through when we're discerning what God is calling us to. One thing that we need to understand as we look at this passage is that the new church is deeply rooted in the story of God, specifically at work through Israel and very much tied to the original promise that God gave to Abraham. I will bless you so that you can bless the world. The kingdom that Jesus inaugurated was also closely wrapped up in the grand narrative of God's blessing all of the nations through the 12 brothers or tribes called Israel. And so Peter doesn't just go out on a limb and make this Judas thing up. He sees the story of Jesus deeply interlocked with the story of Israel. And if God is going to pour out his spirit, it will be on the 12 tribes, not the 11. The people of God use wise thinking. As we think of the second light on the runway, as we look at this passage, um, Peter opens up this idea to the people of God to use their brains. And many people have thought that if, if, it is what, if, if what God is calling me to, it has to be crazy. And I grew up hearing stories that I told God if I'd go anywhere but, and that's exactly where God would send them. And God made us with gifts and passions for a reason and a mind to use. If we are looking to move in a direction that is opposite of who we are made to be, we need to pause. Um, I heard this really great story, and I'm going to share with you. A terrible storm came into a town, and local officials sent out an emergency warning that the riverbanks would soon overflow and flood the nearby homes. They ordered everyone in town to evacuate immediately. A faithful Christian man heard the warning and decided to stay, saying to himself, I will trust God, and if I am in danger, then God will send a divine miracle to save me. The neighbors came by his house and said to him, we're leaving, and there is room in our car. Please come with us. But the man declined. I have faith that God will save me. As the man stood on his porch, watching the water rise up the steps, a man in a canoe paddled by and called to him, Hurry and come into my canoe. 
The waters are rising quickly, but the man said, No thanks, God will save me. The floodwaters rose higher, pouring water into his living room, and the man had to retreat to the second floor. A police motorboat came by and saw him at the window. We will come and rescue you, they shouted, but the man refused, waving them off, saying, Use your time to save someone else. I have faith that God will save me. The floodwaters rose higher and higher, and the man had to climb to his rooftop. A helicopter spotted him and dropped the rope ladder. A rescue officer came down the ladder and pleaded with the man, Grab my hand and I will pull you up. But the man still refused, folding his arms tightly to his body. No thank you. God will save me. Shortly after the house broke up, the floodwaters swept the man away and he drowned. When in heaven, the man stood before God and asked, I put my faith in you. Why didn't you come and save me? And God said, Son, I sent you a warning. I sent you a car. I sent you a canoe. I sent you a motorboat. I sent you a helicopter. What more were you looking for? Although this is kind of tongue-in-cheek, I really believe that there are a lot of people that look down on using their minds that God gave them when we're in a process of discerning. And so when we think about the first two lights on the runway, does it make sense to Scripture? And is it wise? Um, These are really important things for us to think through. The third light on the runway is that the people of God allow the community of believers to speak into the situation. This idea that we see within the Acts chapter 1, that they are together, that there's an openness to the gathered people of God to speak into a decision. This can be a stretch for us because we're a people who, who have been, uh, we've been disciples of self-made America. We have this idea that we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're iPod, iPhone, I everything. The hard part about this is when our community sees something that we don't, And when the community says no, I've made some great friends in my doctoral program who practice discernment at regular gatherings. They learn to listen together and to sense where God is moving. And it is a slow process. But part of that is it allows opportunity for the community of the believers to speak truth into your life, to help you listen, to hear things and to ask questions that you may not have thought through I believe this is a very significant light as we discern together the will that God has for us. The fourth light that we see is the people of God devote themselves to prayer. And we could put this as the first light as well. But they're in prayer. How do we know the heart of God? We have to know God. Prayer is knowing God. Tim Culp, one of our elders, says that prayer is the engine that moves renew. It is where we are connected. It is where we hear and where we speak to God. We will not know what God is up to unless we are with him. And prayer becomes the vehicle in which we can know God and know his heart. And the last light on the runway that we have to allow space for is providential circumstances. I love how after they've they've prayed and they've looked at the scriptures and they've had people elect to they cast lots, and that they leave space for the Spirit. And so when was the last time that you cast lots or rolled the dice for a decision? I was actually talking with someone in our community uh, who, who cast lots for a huge life decision a few years back. And the truth is, is that whenever we're making decisions that are God-honoring decisions, there are these supernatural things that we can't explain. Not every time, but a lot of times. And for us... For Mare and I, 
when we were in our discernment process, it was an unexpected check. Um, we were freaking out because we were leaving a life of security and jumping out to a year of, of um, raising support and going on, um, for me, starting a new contracting business and really learning how to live out of a few different financial buckets. And we were really looking at this thing. I don't know how we're going to afford this. And we were at a moment where we literally thought we were ready to give up and just stay in the youth ministry uh, track. And we had breakfast with friends, and I had to leave, and Mayor had to leave, and the friends locked up the house. And I called Mayor in tears because I really felt like things were just really not going the way that we expected them to. And she was in tears, and she said, I got to I gotta tell you something. And I said, what? And she said, there's a check here for $11,000. And it just moved us in the direction to say, okay, God, we're in. We're all in. And that was a really important thing because all the other lights lined up except for that last one. And when that light hit, we just knew that we had to trust God. And it didn't mean that it was easy, but it continued. that story continued to help us see how our God will provide when we trust him. And so the truth is, is we may not always have all these lights lined up, but if we see three or four of them in a line we're tracking, if we sense our community is, is, is behind us and that we've, we've talked to wise people and that we've used our minds and we've really thought through this, that sometimes we need to take that step of faith and just jump into the place where we sense God calling us. I believe that if, it, if it's enough, if it's something that Jesus would be doing, I don't think it's a mistake. It might be a sidetrack moving you closer in step with Jesus and his purposes. The last thing I want us to look at is at the end of the passage. When we think about what what happened in this passage, we see we see John, we see Joseph, Jacob, Jingleheimer Schmidt not getting the part and we see Matthias getting the go ahead. And so what do we do when God says no? What do we do when we are the one not picked? What happened with Joseph Bersabbas justice? What happened with Matthias? The only thing that we ever hear about Matthias is from a church historian named Eusebius who mentions that he was one of the 72 who Jesus sent out. Neither of them are mentioned again. We all know how it feels to be second place And our response is normal. The first thing we respond with is why. A lot of us go to a place of shame that we're not good enough. N.T. Wright says, Part of Christian obedience right from the beginning was to call to play apparently great parts without pride and apparently small parts without shame. And what I understand about this is Paul talks about the church in two distinct ways. He uses these two images, oikos and soma. Oikos means family, and soma means body. Both of these pictures teach us that we all have a part to play, that church is not a spectator sport, that we are all called to participate in the mission and kingdom of God. And so when I think about it, whether I'm a dude in a symphony who is playing the cowbell for one measure during the whole song, or whether I'm a soloist, We're all given an instrument to play. And so I want to end this morning by giving us some time to just sit with all of the things that, that were spoken this morning and to allow space for the Spirit to speak to you. 
maybe you're one of those people who's in a discerning process or maybe you're someone that really is riddled with the shame and the feelings of being not good enough and you need God to minister to you and the Spirit to speak to you in these moments. So I want to give us some time to sit with this. What is the Spirit speaking to you today? So we're going to take a few minutes to be quiet before the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for these stories. Thank you for invitation to embody these stories. Lord, I, we ask that your Spirit would begin to move in our lives, that we would begin to trust the Spirit and hear the voice of the Spirit, Lord. And we ask that as we learn to hear from the Spirit, that you would give us courage to obey the things that you're calling us to obey. So God, we ask that you would have all the glory and honor today, that you would help us to not just listen to a message, but to go home and embody the things that we sense you speaking to us as we listen to the message. May we not be people that look at this and forget it tomorrow, but may we embody this throughout the week. Help us to make God-honoring decisions. We love you. Amen.